You're listening to the Deal Farm Podcast with Ken Corsini. Educating, inspiring, and connecting you to real estate deals. And now, your host, Ken Corsini. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with The Deal Farm on today's Best Deal Ever episode. I'm joined by Lex Levengrad. Lex is the founder and CEO of the Distressed Real Estate Institute. He actually specializes in buying foreclosures, short sales, and bank-owned properties, and has trained thousands of students from all over the world how to invest in real estate. He himself has actually purchased and sold more than $50 million worth of real estate and has rehabbed, fixed, flipped, or rented more than 500 houses. Lex is currently wholesaling 15 to 20 properties every single month. I am super excited to find out how he's doing that. So Lex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ken. Hey, glad to have you on. Lex is actually one of the newest members to our mastermind at Collective Genius, and he is a heavy hitter in South Florida. And I'm super excited just to kind of delve into exactly what your model is and how in the world are you knocking out 15 to 20 wholesale deals a month in addition to rehabs in a very competitive market like South Florida. Uh, But before we get in there, maybe give us a little bit of history. Lex, how did you get into real estate? I know you've been at this for a little while. Yeah, well, I've been in real estate since 2003. Actually, the way I got into real estate was kind of funny because I used to be a stockbroker and financial advisor, did really well in that industry until 2000 when we had the NASDAQ tech market crash, that bubble burst. Uh, I lost my business. I lost all my personal investments. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was looking for something new to do, uh, pretty much unemployed back in 2000. And uh, I stumbled across an infomercial on late night TV by a guy named... Carlton Sheets. I love Carlton Sheets, man. That's how I got my start. Same thing. And he had this program. It was called No Money Down. It was probably the same one that you saw. Yep, uh, it was. And I think back then, they were still – this was like pre-CD. They were still on like tapes or something. And uh, (laughs) and, um, I listened to it. It sounded pretty interesting. And I thought, you know, this is great. I don't have any credit or any cash. But according to this, I don't need to have either to get started. So I started going to RIA meetings, and and I went to some – other guys, you know, like Robert Allen and some of these guys that were on the circuit and go to the boot camps and whatnot. And I really wanted to get involved. And I realized that at the time I was living out in Los Angeles that the price point of that market is real hard because where I lived, everything was five, $600,000. And you had to go way, way, way east to get anything that was in a price point that could work for me. Um, and around that time, completely randomly by chance, I, I was invited on a business trip uh, to Florida. And I'd never been to Florida before, and I saw this price point where you could buy houses for fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. I was completely blown away by that, and I said to myself, I've got to figure out how to get to Florida so I can start doing real estate over there. And hmm. um, managed to talk my uh, wife at the time and brought the kids over and uh, arrived in Florida I met an individual who was working by purchasing properties at the courthouse. He used to buy them in the courthouse steps, and he would fix them up, and he would sell them. And uh, actually, a guy who lived in my neighborhood became real friends with him. I literally begged him to to be able to work with him because I wasn't really working. And uh, he finally, after about three months of begging him, agreed for me to come and work with him. And he said, I'm going to make you a deal finder, you know, a bird dog. You're going to, I'm going to give you the parameters. You're going to go out and look for deals. And if you find a deal and I land up buying it, I'll pay you five grand. 
And I did that for six months, didn't get a single deal. Oh, no. And, uh, you know, and his system was like knocking on the doors and getting list pendants, people that were in foreclosure and trying to buy the house. It's a pretty aggressive tactic. Uh, uh, I don't like it just because you're kind of bothering people at home. Uh, and then I was going through one of these courses that I'd purchased way back when I was back out in Los Angeles, and it said something about putting an ad in the paper and, you know, saying we buy houses for cash. So I said, well, let me try this because I'm kind of sick of driving around. I've been doing that for five months. So I put an ad in the paper, and uh, first week I got a couple of calls, nothing happened. And uh, next week, a few calls, nothing happened. And on the third week, this was just right after the hurricane that had happened in 2004. I got a call from uh, a guy, and he said, hey, you know, I've got these houses under contract, and my deposit's $10,000. It's hard. If you give me my ten grand back, the houses are yours. Hmm. And so I called this guy I worked with, Ben, and I said, hey, I, I think – I'm not sure, but I think I have a deal. And he's like, this is definitely a deal. And uh, he landed up buying those three houses. They're worth about 140 for 100 apiece, and he paid me $15,000. And I was like, "Wow, I just made 15 grand off a $185 ad in the, the newspaper." So then I went and I put an ad down in Miami and in Palm Beach and in Broward, and I put it in like four different counties. And uh, very quickly realized most of the people were calling were people whose houses were hit or damaged in the hurricane. Oh, interesting. So I changed the ad to say we buy hurricane-damaged houses, and then I realized a lot of people were asking, well, what about the insurance money? And so I went back to Ben. I said, well, what do I tell him about the insurance money? He's like, tell them they can keep the insurance money. So I changed the ad to say we buy hurricane-damaged houses. You keep the insurance money. And then the phone started ringing off the hook. So that's pretty much how I got started, and uh, we bought a lot of houses that were hurricane-damaged in 2004, 2005, and in 2005, I – uh, went off on my own and started uh, doing my own gig and uh, getting into originally buying, fixing, renting. Uh, after about two years of paying wholesalers huge fees for every house that I bought, I started saying to myself, i got to figure out how these guys are getting the houses. I started realizing they were using bandit signs and, and ads, etc., and started getting into the wholesaling side. And um, from there, that evolved into the fix and flip and then ultimately into the education side. Wow. So you've, you've had been at it for a while, but 2005 sounds like that was the year that you kind of busted out on your own and said, I'm going to do this myself. Now, yeah. Yeah, 2000, that's kind of when I started my business too, was 2005. You know, at the time, it's funny, I never even considered buying off-market properties because there were just so many REOs and short sales and bank foreclosures that it was just like shooting fish in the barrel for us here in Atlanta. What was that like for you guys in Florida? Well, for us, I think in Florida, we were a little later to the game because basically in around the end of 2006, it started changing. And then 2007, you know, we, we started going to this massive quantity of REOs and short sales on the market. And, and by 2008, that, that, that volume had just created this huge, tremendous opportunity. And that's when I started looking at it. And I came up with this idea of opening up this company called the Distressed Real Estate Institute, where I was going to tell people, hey, you've got to go out and take advantage of these crazy prices. I mean, to give you an example, there were houses selling for 35000 that just four or five years before were selling for like 200000 And um, yeah, so the challenge back then was to basically get people wanting to buy because the media was so negative. I mean, we have the financial crisis and Bear Stearns is collapsing and Lehman and all the banks are going out of business. So nobody was interested. Everyone thought real estate was going to still continue to go down. And, and it did in 2008, but it kind of bottomed, bottomed out around like mid-2009. And that's when I started getting crucial um, 
flow with uh, students and stuff and starting to get people in. And then little by little, the market started to recover and, and, and I got more and more people interested in buying. So then everything moved from off market to simply buying stuff directly off the MLS, which was REOs and short sales. And uh, probably 90% of our deal flow that we flip, and I know this is very different to a lot of guys, uh, including guys in, in my mastermind, is most of the stuff we do is still listed on the MLS. I mean, we find our properties, 90% of the houses we flip were listed on the MLS as REOs and short sales. Really? Even today, yeah. you still end up getting a lot of MLS deals. Even even today, but the inventory, I will tell you, this is drying up dramatically. It's getting much, much harder. Like, for example, on the fix and flip market, you know, we'd buy a house at 100 that we could flip for 150. Now that same house is costing us 115, but the comps are still appraising at 150, and we're having a hard time because there, there are no new appraisals coming through. Hmm. So it, it's put a squeeze on the deals where if the house is 20,000 to fix up, there's not enough spread. By the time you pay fees and points and interest, there's not enough spread for that deal to work. Uh, so it's getting harder and harder to um, get inventory. And, and because of that, we've reverted back to some of the stuff we were doing back in 2003 and four, which is, you know, mailers and postcards and yellow letters and, and, and billboards and all kinds of other, uh, you know, pay-per-click, et cetera, just to get more seller leads that are not on the MLS. Well, and I imagine it's a fairly competitive market down there too. I mean, densely populated, but still a lot of players down there. In fact, there's a couple of guys in CG that are even down there that you may have met. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I got a couple of guys in my um, in, in in my CG that are wholesalers down in our market, and uh, uh, it, it, it's very competitive. But the thing is, is that you know it's kind of like a numbers game. If you go out there and you make a hundred offers and you don't get five houses under contract, you're probably doing something wrong. Maybe your offers are too low, or you're not offering on the right properties. So we get a big where we get a big advantage is, is that a lot of stuff, probably 30 or 40% of the inventory out there, the people offering on them are wholesalers. So they don't have any intention of closing if they don't flip their property off to like day five or six. Mm -hmm. And so because we know that, we go to REO agents and say, hey, if you have any deal that falls apart, we can close in seven days. We're cash buyers. And sometimes they'll come back after a wholesaler cancels out on a deal. So on the MLS, it still shows us pending a backup, but we'll, we'll, we'll get it on that, you know, backup call. Interesting. So you've just developed relationships with enough REO agents. That we they... just put in we just put in backup offers on everything pretty much, you know. Anything that they say is not available, we say can we put in a backup offer? We draw it up, we send it to them, we send them a proof of funds. We say we can close and, you know, as soon as title is ready, we can close in a day if your title is ready. So that when they our goal is is that if their initial buyer flakes, mm -hmm. it could either be a cash buyer who flakes because of an inspection report or it could be a wholesaler who cancels because he can't flip the property. But either way, we want them to come to us. And then what we usually do is we build in some kind of clause where we say, you know, let me just go look at it real quick. And then if anything's changed uh, condition-wise or anything like that, then we still have some kind of an out, you know, to say, well, it looks like a vandalized since we lost saw it or, or something like that. But reality is the market right now, at least down here, is moving so fast up that anything that we made an offer on a month or two ago that comes back to us now is probably going to be worth five or ten grand higher. <laughs> That's cr what a crazy market to be in. It's, it's a little spooky, isn't it, having experienced 2007, well, 2008? 
It is, you know, because of the thing is, is that when I started in 2003, and I say to people, this market today reminds me very much of the 2003 to 2005. You know, so I don't know if we're in the sixth inning or if we're in the seventh inning or where we are exactly, but I know that it's really, really hot, and it's probably going to be hot for a few more years. And we gotta, you know, we gotta strike while the iron's hot because right now, the, the, you know, you could probably buy something off the MLS and then just hold it for 30 days, throw it back on the MLS 10 grand higher, and move it. No doubt. You know, it's it's funny we're having this conversation because literally right before we jumped on this podcast, we're buying a wholesale deal from a wholesaler we know in town who just scooped up a deal on the MLS. It's a very clean house. We let him mark it up eleven grand, and we're buying it from him just because we know there's so much acceleration in that market where you know the neighborhood that it's in. Where a year ago, there's no way I would have done that. Bought something from a wholesaler who I know what he paid for it on the MLS. But there's just so it's so quickly turning. There's so much rapid appreciation. You can get away with it right now, but at the same time, it just makes me nervous. I know. Well, it does, you know, and that's why when I hear things like the other day, I saw one of my associates. He's at a real estate expo with seven thousand people, and I'm like, whoa, you know, maybe we're more in the eighth inning than on the sixth inning. When I hear things like that, or I see how many shows there are on TV and 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 stuff. But um, you know, there's, there there is some definitely some crazy stuff going out there. Just like the example you used on the house in Atlanta. I mean, listen to this. About a month ago, a wholesaler sells me a house. For three thousand more than he paid for it, and then he comes back to me seven days later, and he wants to buy it for fifteen thousand more than he sold it to me at. Oh my gosh! But he has the funny part: he fixes it up and flips it for forty thousand more. And I'm thinking, why didn't oh I fix up that house? So, so, so there's just a lot of crazy stuff going on, and and I, and I know in certain markets it's different. Like for example, Miami, I think the condo market's a lot closer to. Uh, that high territory than certain other markets. I still see a lot of cheap inventory if you're willing to go into like for rentals, the lower income neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. A lot of good stuff out there that's just not that expensive. You know, I'm I'm still buying houses for forty, fifty thousand dollars that rent for nine hundred dollars a month. Are you really in South Florida? Yeah. I guess just more inland away from some of the higher end areas. Correct. They definitely. I would not call these higher end. Yeah. It's shady end areas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. More like lower income kind of neighborhoods. But you know, close enough to major jobs, like in West Palm Beach, is one example of a city where you can still buy stuff for you know eighty thousand that rents for twelve hundred Section Eight, and very close to a lot of you know good job markets and. Um, you know that works, and I know there's a lot of other cities out there like Atlanta, where you're at, and um, and Cleveland, and uh, a lot of inner city areas where you can still get pretty good returns on rentals. And I think that for me, the biggest signal that we're close to the to the the top is going to be when all of those lower income neighborhoods have properties that are selling at like 200 times rent. That's when I'm going to really really be cautious. Yeah, yeah, you are you are right. It's interesting because the downturn. There's a lot of neighborhoods that haven't necessarily recovered that have really just kind of transitioned into fully rental neighborhoods where, they're, amazingly, there still are good buy-and-hold opportunities. That's same with Atlanta. It's very pocketed. It's probably true for a lot of major metros. You've got your areas that are hot that are gentrifying and transitioning real quick, but you still have those rental neighborhoods that haven't really recovered yet, and you can still get the strong price-to-rent ratios. It sounds like you have that there in Florida, too. 
Exactly, absolutely. And very, you know, just like you have in Atlanta, you have good neighborhoods, you have bad neighborhoods. So the thing is, when the market's on the turn in 2009-10 and investors start coming back in, they want to buy the best product. Case in point, all these big, you know, BlackRock capitals of the world that came in and they bought the best inventory they could get in the best areas they could get. But then as the prices go up and up and up and up, people have to be less selective and they have to start going into worse neighborhoods. When there's no inventory left and everything's super, super high, that's when they start going into the low-income neighborhoods and just grabbing it, whatever they can get decent cash flow on. And then mm -hmm. once that gets priced out, well, then there's no more buyers left. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You know what's interesting? I was just in Miami last week, as I mentioned, and uh, I could see that condo market getting saturated because there were literally cranes everywhere building condos. I felt like I, yeah. I could not believe how, how much construction. At some point, you reach a saturation point, don't you think? Well, yeah, I think the Miami market, I was discussing with uh, an individual last week about it. The thing that's interesting is is that in the previous collapse, there were like 64,000 condos that were just sitting there vacant. But then when these foreign buyers came in because the dollar was weak relative to their currency, mm -hmm. they, they they picked them up pretty quickly. And, you know, now we've got Chinese buyers coming in and we've got um, Russian buyers and, and buyers from all over the world. So three years ago, they were from Brazil and, and Venezuela, and now they seem to be more coming in from China and from from Israel, other places, but the fact of the matter is is that we don't really know how much foreign money there is and how unstable they view their economy or how weak our dollar is. So as long as our dollar stays weak, there could always be these people coming in and buying these like the, this high end kind of real estate. But at the end of the, the day, to me, that's more speculation. It's mm -hmm. like you're you're buying, hoping it's going to go up, whereas I like to buy based on cash flow, based on rent multiples, based on having a spread. So I know when the day I close, there's 30 or 40 grand profit in that house. I don't sure. want to buy hoping it goes up next week. That's a very speculative place to be if that's kind of where your business ends right. up. Hey, speaking of – so help us understand how you've structured your team. What does your business look like right now? Well, basically, we do around 15 to 20 wholesales a month in our office. Uh, we also do – currently, we're working on 13 fix and flips, so we do a decent amount of rehabs. And uh, we've got rentals in seven counties, so that keeps us pretty busy working all three of those. Um, we do have a program in place with our students where they can go out and kind of like the way I started out working with Ben where they can go out and find a deal and just bring it to us and we'll market it to our buyers and we just split the deal with them. So that's been a very uh, popular product that we've uh, um, utilized and pretty much since 2009. And, uh, you know, as far as wholesaling, like I said, people are very surprised when they come to our training and they're like, you're getting the stuff off of Realtor.com and Hubzoo and Auction.com. We're like, yeah, a lot of the stuff is right on. I mean, just this, this week, we purchased six or seven houses off of Hubzoo, uh, HUD Home Store, HomePath, uh, Homesteps, you know, so I mean, there's, there's still inventory that's there, that, that, that's online, that's, that's on the MLS. And, and, wow. uh, that's yeah. crazy. And it's probably market to market because we, we bid on everything that makes sense and all those, and we almost never get any of that stuff. I think maybe Atlanta is just super, super competitive when it comes to some of that on-market inventory. But you guys apparently are in a, and when you're in a, you're a pretty big geographic area though too, aren't you? How, what what area are. are you operating? Well, we're covering like for myself personally, like not including my students, we're doing in our office from Miami all the way up to like Palm Bay area. So it's about a 200-mile area north to south and uh we also wholesale houses up in tampa and orlando's and in a lot of the other bigger cities jacksonville in in florida as well gotcha yeah that's a pretty big geographic swatch there so uh, of, the, of the deals that you're doing the 15 to 20 are what percentage of those are ones that uh, students have actually brought to you guys 
Probably, I would say about fifty percent of the deals that we do are from students. Okay, that's I mean that's a killer model. I love that model. I mean, basically, it's a way for you to leverage yourself and your business and build an, an army of people out there bird dogging for you. Yeah, well, we well, that's what we do, and that's how we market like the distressed real estate boot camp, which is a wholesaling. So they basically come in, and we have around eighty, hundred people that come into the boot camp, and then they go out, and they've got a proof of funds letter and a system in place where they know that if they find a deal, we could find a buyer and put up the funds for them. And we've got more than two thousand people that have been through this. So there's two thousand people out there who could potentially submit a deal to us. Uh, you would think with that that there would be a tremendous volume of deal flow, and there is a decent volume of deal flow, but yet. Even with that, we still manage to get ourselves, just our office, as much deal flow as all those 2,000 people combined. Gotcha. And that's phenomenal. So how long have you had the boot camp going? I've had the boot camp going. The first one was in um, uh, May of 2009. So we basically do two wholesaling boot camps a year, and we do two fix and flip boot camps a year. But the, the wholesaling boot camp with the partnership program, the the appeal about that is is that when we started out, when I started out personally, I didn't have any credit and I didn't have any money. So, but I saw that I could find a deal for Ben and flip it, and, and he would pay me. So I built the whole system based on that same premise: that if you don't have any money, you don't have any credit. If I give you the parameters of the type of house I'm looking for, and you find that house for me, you get paid a finder's fee, and it's as simple as that. You know, so that way uh, allows people to learn the business without putting up their own capital. And you know, hey, you, you you buy three houses and send them to me and watch me sell them. You might start thinking, wow, how can I keep this house for myself? And then at that point in time, you just got to learn how to get access to hard money and and rehab money and and then you're fixing and flipping houses. Do you find do you find that most of your students bring you deals, or have a lot of them kind of graduated onto doing their own business now? Well, the, obviously the successful students. You know, I mean, we do have students. I got one guy who submitted north of 50 deals to us, and we've got a bunch that have submitted 20, 30, 40 deals to us. But by and large, I'd say that anyone who's wholesaled, you know, 20 plus deals at some point in time is going to quit their job and become a full-time wholesaler. So, we have quite a few uh, wholesalers throughout the country that are quite successful that had never flipped a house until they had come to our boot camp. Yeah, that's awesome. 2,000 people you've put through your boot camp. And so you also teach you teach wholesaling and you also teach the fix and flips. Correct. We do two wholesaling boot camps a year and we do two fix and flip boot camps a year. I'll tell you what intrigues me most, though, about your operation is that you found a way to continue buying on market versus off market. Because you know, most people come on our show and it's always intriguing to know what, what are people doing to find the off market deal. And I'm sure you're chasing the off market deals. But you're having so much success on market that what's the secret to your sauce? What are, what are you doing that maybe other people aren't doing? Well, I think that there's a few things. First of all, if, when you're looking at on market versus off market, you know, in direct mail, you can get profits, you know, decent spreads of ten, twenty thousand dollars on a deal. Whereas we're doing fifteen to twenty deals a month, but our spread might only be three or four thousand per deal. So um, the 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 secret is if you've got a good pool of cash buyers, and we've got guys who buy forty, fifty houses a year from us, we 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 have to deliver the deal to them where there's enough spread for them to still make money fixing and flipping it. Mm -hmm. So we can't mark it up a lot because they're not going to want to buy it. So because you've got people bidding up these properties, we have to have a very, very good knowledge of where we can sell it at and what's the most we can pay for it. And we have to drop out once we get to that point. So uh, our advantage is that a lot of the other people that are bidding online don't know the local market well enough to know, oh, I can sell that 3-2 in that town for 115000 So they'll just bid up to 120. 
and then they'll get canceled out and then the realtor will come back to us and say, hey, do you want that house at 108? And we'll say yes because we know we can sell it at 115. Yeah, you almost sort of become you know, somebody's acquisition arm for them. If you've got a handful of investors that are looking to do that kind of volume, it's almost like they've outsourced you know, an agent or their acquisition arm, especially if only charging three to 5,000 bucks. Well, that's exactly what they are. And some of the guys that we uh, sell houses to that fix and flip and make, you know, millions of dollars a year. We got one guy that did $10 million last year. So they exactly do that. They say, hey, we'd rather not waste our resources trying to replicate what you're doing. Just send us your best deals. And if they look decent, we'll buy them. And they give us buying parameters. So most of our best deals don't even make it onto our deal blast or onto to our text blast or onto our site. They just, they, they're sold via text. I just tell someone, hey, I got a good deal. And 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 the guy says, hey, I'll take it. So once we have an idea, really at the end of the day, it boils down to really understanding the inventory and the product. So you have to know, and I'll often test with students, especially my coaching students, if they work in a specific market, I'll say, how many houses are for sale in that town? What's the cheapest three, two in that town? And if they say, I don't know, I'll say, why not? <laughs> because you need to know that stuff because if you're selling, you know where your buyers are. Your buyers aren't dumb. They can go call listing agents. They can call buyers agents. They can make their own offers. They can go on HubZoo too. So you've got to know where they're willing to buy it. And if you know that, you know where your price point is, then some of the secrets you can do is you can waive inspections. You can put up larger deposits and you can knock a lot of the other offers out of the way because you know they're all offering a $1,000 in seven-day inspection. Yeah. That's interesting. I'll tell you the other advantage you guys probably have too, having been in business for a while, is you've got a, probably a nice large buyers list. So we have a very large buyers list. Yeah, we have a very large buyers list. I think we probably, I, I I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure we have the largest buyers list in the state of Florida. Wow, that's huge. So so yeah, only having to mark it up three or four thousand dollars, even if it's not the best deal, you're you're going to find somebody that's probably willing to pay it. Correct. And also, don't forget, because we rehab and because our students do fix and flips as well, we can cherry pick the best deals for ourselves to fix and flip and for our coaching students to fix and flip. And then whatever we don't keep, we can put on our lists and have a high confidence that we're going to sell them. We'll, we'll, we'll put an email out at 930 on a Monday morning and have six or seven houses sold by 1 p.m. Yeah, that's crazy, man. That's I mean, that's the, just part of just being in business for a while, building a, a database uh, of buyers, of wholesalers, of students. I mean, all that just you know build, adds into the to your overall business. You know, and it's also just relationships, you know, just relationship driven. Absolutely. Yeah. For somebody that's new, that's starting out, you know, they might get discouraged because they don't have those kind of contacts. But just being in business and adding those contacts month in and month out, eventually your buyers list gets big. You know, your acquisition list gets big, and you can start working your way into the fifteen to twenty deal a month type business that you've got. Exactly. Hey, so you've been at this for a while. You obviously got a high volume, work with a ton of people. Is there one deal in particular that stands out as your best deal ever? Uh, you know, I've had a lot of good deals. I was just thinking today that, you know, there's quite a few deals where we've purchased them and what we paid for them. Like one deal uh, specifically we bought for 70 and we listed it for 140. So, uh, the, even in today's market, even in this uh, inflated uh, price point that we're at, um, there's still deals out there with, 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 with great spreads. But I'd say probably one of the best deals I ever got was a deal a wholesaler was trying to sell to me. And when I decided I was ready to move forward with the property, he uh, couldn't couldn't get the source of the deal or he'd lost the source of the deal. So I, I went online and started tracking down. Uh, it took me months until I finally found the owner of the property. And I threw out a ridiculously low offer because – 
I knew I had a ballpark idea of where I needed to be. And when I got that house under contract, I got it for 10000 and I put it online for 49000 and found a buyer. So that was like a you know, five-to-one you know, five ratio uh, on a deal where I didn't even physically meet the seller. I didn't look at the house. I didn't physically meet the buyer. <laughs> That's pretty solid. Yeah, it's funny because I've had deals like that where we had it under contract from a wholesaler. We didn't have contact with the direct seller, and for you know, whatever reason, the deal fell out. And everything in me wanted to go track down the original seller and, and try to put the deal together myself. And uh, right. So, what did you do to track them down? That's always interesting. How how many how deep you went to find that person? Well, it actually took a while, and I actually did that one personally. I, I went in. We use a, a service called Spokio. Uh, we did uh, white pages searches. We found phone numbers. I just Googled the address. You know, one one tip I would give people that a lot of people don't do that I think is really useful is Google the address because when someone brings you a property that they're trying to sell to you, if you just Google it and you just go through the first three or four pages on, on, on online, you'll see if it's a wholesale deal or somebody has that under contract, there'll be some blog or some website or some Craigslist ad where that property is listed. Hmm. And you'll have a better understanding of that deal than if you just pull up the address and pull up the contract. And a lot of people don't do that. So in this case, I did that and I actually found a post on an online forum by a realtor. And I called her up and I said, you know, I'm trying to track the owner of that. Are you in touch with the owner? She said, yeah, that used to be my listing and I know the owner personally. And I said, well, I'd like to make an offer. And I told her what the offer was. She went to the owner, came back. We negotiated back and forth a little bit and I sent them a contract and I had it under contract. So now I was like, wow, I, I really have to close on this um, because I committed myself and I waived the inspection. Uh, now I've got to figure out who I'm going to sell this to. So I knew because it was a, this specific property, believe it or not, for $10,000 was a four-unit multifamily. Oh, my god! But it was really – yeah, but it was really trashed. And it was in a really, really bad area of town. Uh, but I knew that, you know, according to the comps, I could probably sell it for, you know, it's probably worth 100, 120 fixed up. So I figured, I'd, you know, I'll try and market it out there for 49.9 and see if I can get uh, a buyer. And lo and behold, someone called and looked at it and made an offer and boom, it, it was gone. So 40 grand on a $10,000 investment is a pretty good return. That's not bad at all. So did you buy it first or were you able to assign that contract? No, I bought it first and closed on it myself. I wouldn't have had the ability to market it that that strongly because the seller was very uh, hesitant because she had been canceled on a couple of times before by wholesalers. Gotcha. So I figured the best thing is to just close on it, and then once I own it, I can deal with marketing it myself or I can put on the MLS, and, and it just so happened that I got a buyer off of Zillow on that deal. That's awesome, man. That's a killer deal. So you've talked a little bit about your boot camp and the fact that you've got some students in an educational platform. I guess point people in, in the direction of, of your – I know you got a free book out there. How can people find you? Well, I do have a free book on wholesaling called Wholesaling Bank Home Properties, which goes into a lot of the specifics we've been talking about. And you can get that on my website at lexlevenrad.com. And is there, is there a forward slash or anything? Or just write it. On, no, no, no. It's just it's right there, right there on the homepage. Yeah, Perfect. Lex Levinrad, L-E-X-L-E-V-I-N-R-A-D.com. Fantastic. Well, we will put that in the show notes, folks. Again, it's LexLevinrad.com. Check out the free book he's offering. Maybe check out his uh, upcoming boot camps. Lex, thanks again for coming on the show, man. This was fantastic. Hey, Ken. Thanks so much for having me on the Deal Farm. All right. Take care. All right. Thank you.
Hey folks, it's Ken again, and I want to talk to you for just a quick second about becoming a private lender with our company, Georgia Residential Partners. If you've got money right now sitting on the sidelines, maybe it's in a bank account earning less than 1%, or maybe it's in the stock market and you're worried about where the stock market is headed, you might want to consider becoming a private lender with our company. Where you might be getting 1% to 2% on a CD or a money market account right now, when you become a private lender with us, you're actually well into the double digits in terms of return on investment. Again, if you've got money that's not working for you right now, it's sitting on the sidelines and you want to get it into investment that's safe, that's passive and has the opportunity to get you well into the double digits, please reach out to me. You can actually contact us through our website at dealfarm.net. Go to the contact us page. It goes right into my inbox and I will reply and set up a time to talk. Thanks so much for listening to The Deal Farm. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care.